Frances was what we would call end-stage dementia. She was still walking around, but she did not know her children. She did not change her clothing or go to the bathroom on her own or even feed herself some days. Some days she didn't recognize food. Diane's bed had been completely stripped. She was gone and, and there was no word, nothing. They had taken her to that horrible medieval state hospital. Hey there, and welcome to Grit True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories. Grit Stories. We are in the middle of season number three, dedicated to grit talks and the best of. Today, we have got two stories from 7x7, our curated virtual storytelling series from 2020 and 2021. Today, you will hear two stories, one from Sue Schmidt, who lives near Iowa City, in, of course, Iowa, and Lynn Jassim, who is out in Los Angeles, California. Two lovely human beings and two equally lovely stories. Thank you both for letting me use them here on the podcast. Check the show notes for upcoming events, including Deja True 4, which will include eight unique braided stories. This is cool, original, different. Check it out. Click the link. Come Sunday evening at 7 Eastern. And if you would, help us out. Rate and review this podcast if you listen on Apple. It helps people find it, and we want people to find it. Really appreciate your support and your rating and your reviewing and however else you choose to participate. Really, thank you very much. Okay, without further ado, ladies, let us dive in. It's 1990. I am working in a nursing home in, in Iowa City. I've been there for about three weeks. I'm standing in front of the nurse's station and Francis comes walking up the hall. There are about seven or eight of us standing there, but she walks right over to me and puts her face down on my shoulder and sobs. And everything around the area just stops and everyone looks. She sobbed for about maybe 40 seconds. And then she stood up, wiped off my shoulder without making eye contact with me ever and walked away. We all just stood there. Have you ever seen her do that before? No, I've never, se- I've never seen her do that before. We're all just stunned. I need to tell you that Frances was what we would call end-stage dementia. She was still walking around, but she did not know her children. She did not change her clothing or go to the bathroom on her own or even feed herself some days. Some days she didn't recognize food. If she did eat, she ate with her fingers. She didn't talk. And when you'd see her, her face was always absolutely flat, flat, flat. She just looked at you. She was dressed in sweats most of the time and a pair of slip-on shoes because she, was, she would beat the feathers out of anybody who tried to dress her. 
And her hair always went straight up in the front and straight up in the back, with the exception of Thursday when she went to the hairdresser in the, nurse, in the nursing home. And she knew once she entered that room, she knew exactly what to do. And she sat there politely and let the hairdresser do her hair. But she was about the only person that she didn't give flack to who tried to care for her. Now, I've just moved to Iowa. I've been in Iowa for almost two months. I'm new in this nursing home. And I have to tell you, I hate nursing homes. I worked in home care in Western Massachusetts. I was a protective worker. I did trainings on Alzheimer's disease, but I am in Iowa and I didn't get a job right away and I need a job. So I'm working in this nursing home. And I have to tell you that being from the East Coast and coming to the Midwest, I'm thinking that maybe I'm just a little bit smarter than the people that I'm working with. So I am arrogant about what I know about Alzheimer's disease, about how people should be treated, and I want to model to everybody how this should be done. I also need to assess Frances and her roommate, Katie, who she walks with up and down the hall, 18 hours out of 24, every day. Now, Frances would sit down, but Katie is one of those little, tiny, wiry women who is strong as tight as she possibly could be, and she has to move, and she wants Frances with her. So. Every time Francis sits down, Katie says, come on, Francis, come on, Francis, get up, Francis. And Francis will sit there like Eeyore is all I can think of when I see her. She just wants to sit. But she will eventually be prodded into getting back up and walk with Katie. The other thing that I noticed about Francis is that she always walks with a bunch of her shirt in her left hand. So she's kind of hunched over, she's kind of tight, and she shuffles along with this piece of her shirt and her fan. But again, flat affect, no response. I decide that I'm going to start to walk with them. And I start walking with them for a few minutes every day. And I go up to them and I say, hi, hi, gals, how you doing? Where are we walking to today? And they both look at me. I said, okay, let's, well, let's walk to Hawaii today. And Katie, who's still a little with it, would laugh at me and say, yeah, we'll walk to Hawaii, walk to Hawaii. Francis would stand there and look at me with that flat affect as if to say, you are an idiot. But she never said anything, of course, and we walked. After we'd done that for a little while is that when Francis came and walked up to me and put her head on my shoulder. And a couple of weeks later, I was in my office and I heard this knock. And I looked up and there was nobody there. The door was standing open, but there was nobody in the hallway that I could see. And then I went back to work and I heard another knock. And now I'm starting to get a little annoyed. I'm thinking, okay, must, the aides must be playing a trick on me or something. And then I heard the third knock and then I get up and I'm, I'm, I'm a little annoyed. And I go and I look around the corner and it's Frances. It's Frances. She's standing there. And you can tell that the poor woman hasn't smiled in forever because she's smiling and it is the ugliest looking thing ever. It's like her face is going to break. But she's, she's got her hand up to her, and she's looking at me, and she's smiling. And I said, Francis, are you playing a trick on me? And the hair stands up on the back of my neck, and just as quickly as it started, she walks away. Now, Francis hasn't got any executive function. She can't plan things, can she? She's got Alzheimer's disease for Pete's sake. She doesn't even say hello. We kept walking. And about a month after that, I was sitting in the staff break room. And there's one thing that I forgot to tell you. 
when I would see Frances and I couldn't be walking with her, I would give her a sign and I would go, Frances, I salute you. And she would look at me, but never respond. So on this day, I'm having my lunch and the staff dining room is right across from the residence dining room. And there's a door and windows on the side. The woman who was having lunch with me said, uh, I think your friend is here. And I look up and there's Francis, sweatshirt in hand and a fork in her other hand, looking at me with that expressionless face. And once she has my attention, she goes, I was covered in goose flesh and very, very aware that I had nothing to be arrogant about, that she had in fact just shown me that given enough attention and the right circumstances occasionally, she might be able to get back to herself. And I am so grateful that I was present when the synapses finally talked to each other and I could spend a few moments with her. What's it like living in Iowa? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, let me, let me disabuse you of uh, well, the usual is uh, it's flat. Well, okay. Iowa isn't flat. Anybody who comes here would tell you that Iowa is definitely not flat, but we do not have mountains. We have bluffs along the Mississippi, but we have no mountains here. We just have hills. We have lots mm-hmm. of green undulating hills and soybeans in August are beautiful. They shift in the wind and it is as every bit as affecting, I think, as the ocean at times. So, and people are in fact friendly. We had a what we call a derecho just came through here. The you may have heard it on the news. It was a, about an hour's worth of 140 mile an hour winds in a very one just just one part of Iowa. There was a group of people that I hardly know who live in my neighborhood, but who showed up with trucks and chainsaws and took care of the mess and carted it away. The stuff that they tell you about people being nice is actually true. But don't spread it around too much because no. we really don't want too many people moving in. I absolutely understand that. We'll keep it on the DL. Thanks again, Sue. And next up is Lynn out in Los Angeles, California. Enjoy her story. Things continued in the psych ward at its usual slow tempo. Morning became afternoon, became night. Everything followed as expected. That is until that one morning when something happened that was the essence of what it meant to be in a nut house. I was awakened from my sleep by by screams, horrible, horrible screams. They rippled down the hallway. I felt like these screams came from some place that was so deep. All the patients rushed over to the nurse's station and we said, who is it? Where is it? What's going on? We looked around to see if if it was one of us. As the nurses ran down the hall to the bathroom, when they came back, they said, it's Diane. Diane? I, I hardly knew Diane. She was so quiet. She kept to herself. Little by little, All the other patients started to wander off, and I was left alone in the hallway. 
listening, listening to the screams and, and then the sobs. And then worst of all, the silence. Diane stayed in that bathroom alone for four hours. And I stayed in the hall. I could, I could feel her. The next day after breakfast, when we went back into the ward, I saw that Diane's bed had been completely stripped. She was gone. And, and there was no word, nothing. They had taken her to that horrible medieval state hospital. That's hospital that lived in our nightmares and our whispers. Bellevue. And now, now I lived with the fear that they would rip me from my bed. That thought stayed with me as though it were on my skin. But time moves on and three months were up. The significance of three months was that's when the doctors all determined what your future would be, where you would go next. Me? Well, I'd like to go to a nice residential hospital, somewhere with sprawling green lawns and little white deck chairs and, and maybe even a swimming pool. But they may send me to someplace like the medieval hospital. You know, I just need to stay here a little bit longer. I, I, I feel comfortable here. And when I have my appointment with Dr. Kleinberger later, I'm going to tell her so. Hello, Dr. Kleinberger. I was just thinking of you. Well, hello, Lynn. Yes, I have been thinking of you too. And as you know, three months are up and... Uh, me and the staff have all gotten together and looked over your chart, and you will be very happy to hear that you are going home. Home? No, no, no. No, I, will. I don't want to go home. I won't go home. This is where I belong. This is my home. All my friends are here, my family. The there really is no such thing as home. Home is, it's just a fantasy. It's not real. And all those people out there, they're crazy. But they, they made me leave. And, and what could I do? It, it wasn't so terrible outside. I mean, I stopped sleeping all day and, and that was good. But I had, to, I had to learn again how to pretend, you know. Everything's nice, looked good. Not to stand out too much and bring attention to myself, you know, so that people would notice I was different. And that is not safe. But I'll tell you what was safe. Mount Sinai Hospital and that little group of crazy people who were completely authentic in their feelings and what they said. They, they gave me the courage to see myself 
when I think of Mount Sinai, I, I cherish the memory that I was given the honor and the grace of watching people emerge from the fog. Some years later, after I was led out of the hospital and I was leading my normal life, I was riding the bus and I saw her. Diane! Oh, she, she didn't look good. Time had been very cruel. She had big black circles under her eyes and, and her teeth were all going bad. Diane, do you remember me from Mount Sinai? Diane slowly turned towards me as though she were in a dream. She wiped her mouth and mumbled, I'm, I'm going. Diane was going back, back. They let her out for one afternoon and now she had to go back to Bellevue. Poor, poor Diane, time, years, wasted. But I'll tell you what, I am here. Mm -hmm. And thank God for that. And me, no, I am never going back. I'm only going forward. Stop the damn bus. You know, I had mentioned that I'd spent a week in a hospital and I, I don't think it's always a wise thing to compare these types of experiences, but I will, I will say this. I think if I had to isolate one thing that helped me most, it was the conversations I had with the other patients. Yes. And Absolutely. one of the things I've come to understand and sort of saying like, well, why was that? I've concluded when you get it in that way you know, you're just going to approach these kinds of conversations and engaging with people in a different way, presumably, like they get it. And yeah. it was just none of this stuff that we, all of us, I'm sure, so often have to deal with in our lives, when we're, especially when we're talking about, you know, our stuff. So did a great job of sort of bringing that and illustrating that. Thank you. I miss those people. Yeah. They were real, you know, yeah. and- craziness they were real as always thanks so much for listening and all of your support special thanks once again to sue and lynn Check the show notes for upcoming events, including Deja True 4.0. Come check this out. This is unique. This is different. It's a lot of fun. Grab yourself a ticket to Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. And hey, a favor, please, if you listen on Apple, rate and review this podcast. It helps people find it. And we want people to find it. We really do appreciate your support, your help. That would go a long way. So thanks again for that and for listening and for everything else you do in the storytelling community. That is all for episode number 71. Boom.